Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is a Three Martini Lunch on this beautiful, gorgeous day. Hope all is well. I'm Chad Benson and Greg Corumbus. Jim Garrity from the National Review, as always, is here ready to roll. We've got your good, of course, always. Let's get your bad and your crazy day. Let's start with the good. Oh, Jim, let's frack a little bit, huh? Fracking time. Yeah, today's good martini comes from over in the United Kingdom. I wish there was more of this mentality here at stateside, but I think it's very revealing that you have, you know, the United Kingdom, which had attempted to uh, shut down or cease fracking, is now rethinking that policy and saying, oh, wait a second, actually, maybe we want to do, we, you know, we do want to uh, do this. They have a moratorium on fracking over there. The report is that apparently 30 lawmakers from Prime Minister Boris Johnson's governing conservative party have appealed to him to end a moratorium on fracking. And the business secretary, Quasi Kortning, probably mangling that name, but basically the business secretary in his cabinet said it doesn't make any sense to pour concrete over these wells. And I think that the metaphor that I like here comes from a free market think tank over in the UK. It says, capping these wells now is like dynamiting a gold mine during a gold rush, which I think is a accurate way of putting it. And we've, you know, I'd like to see this, this mentality spread to as many Western countries as possible. I like cheap gas. I don't like expensive gas. I like, you know, reducing dependence upon foreign oil. Is the day coming when more and more people will have electric cars? Sure. But, you know, in the meantime, not everybody can afford a Tesla. We don't necessarily have the infrastructure there. We're going to need oil and natural gas for a while. Would I like to see more nuclear? Sure. Yeah, I'm fine with that too. But, you know, you can't just build a nuclear power plant overnight. Fracking seems like an obvious thing that has led to us becoming the energy superpower that we were up until very recently, being a net energy exporter. Glad to see the UK moving in this direction. My only thing to add is faster, please. You, you talk about like, you know, they always come out, we're energy independent. Well, we are if you throw in all of the other stuff. But what we care about that we see on a daily basis is oil. We're not oil independent mm. when it comes to energy. And that's the thing that really hits everybody in their pocketbook. Yeah, again, I understand the steps have been taken in the recent days to expand liquid natural gas exports to Europe. That takes a, quite a bit of infrastructure. I believe there's an export point up in uh, up in up in New England. There, uh, you know, look. But unfortunately, you know, federal. If you look at anything with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission does, all the infrastructure to get the energy from where it is to where it's got to go doesn't happen. Overnight, it takes a while, to, not just to build it, but also to get the regulatory approval. Can you run this pipeline through here? Can you have this new processing and uh, center there? All of this takes time. The sooner we make decisions on that, the sooner it gets built, the sooner it gets brought online, and the sooner it alleviates this and helps get product to customers. So, you know, once again, faster, please. Absolutely. And, you know, that'll make the greenies very upset and they probably won't sleep well at night, but we can help them with that, right? Ah, indeed. Although I guess the greenies probably would be horrified at the thought of purchasing a my pillow. Nothing makes you feel more luxurious when you step out of the shower than one of the my pillow towels. And their current offer is that a set of towels that regularly cost one hundred nine dollars and ninety nine cents is now only thirty nine dollars and ninety nine cents per set. The MyPillow six-piece towel set is made with cotton grown right here in the United States. Now, some towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well. Or maybe they absorb well, but they don't feel very good. They've got that lotion-y feel. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. 
They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Or you can visit MyPillow.com forward slash MARTINI or you can call 1-800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all the MyPillow products you're familiar with, including the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow Giza dream sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for just $39.99 today at MyPillow.com forward slash martini, or call 1-800-874-0104. Well, we've had the good. Let's have a little bit of the bad. I don't know how bad this really is, but uh, Susan Collins going to vote for KBJ, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson. I, I just thought there would be two, maybe three Republicans that would vote for her. Uh, and, and it's like for like the way I've always looked at it, Jim. It's kind of like for like. And this wasn't changing too much of the makeup of the court. So I didn't see a fight coming that was going to be as bitter as we've seen in the last couple. As I say, Chad, you are correct. This is kind of the outcome. So this is one of the least predictable bad martinis we've had in a while. And in the grand scheme of things, I think a rather mildly bad one. I think most people figured that with a 50-50 Senate, the odds of Republicans blocking the nomination was very small. And I think Susan Collins, if you said, is any Republican senator going to vote for a, a Biden nominee for the Supreme Court? Susan Collins would probably be your first choice. And I think there's been some talk about whether uh, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska will also vote there that way. It's worth noting that Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, is voting for, indicated he supports her. So there's really, that pretty much locked it in to be at least 50-50. Collins is going to mean that Kamala Harris doesn't have to come into the Hill. Murkowski might do it. I've heard a little bit of talk about Romney. I think he has not decided. He said he had a good meeting with her. Uh, you're right. that This is, you know, replacing Ketanji Brown-Jackson for Stephen Breyer is one for one. It doesn't alter the balance of the court. Would we prefer another conservative or constructionist or originalist or whichever term you prefer uh, justice on the court? Sure. But that just was not in the cards. And it's not actually, you know, there is a majority that is more like-minded to our way of thinking, which is good. A little frustrating, but I think all in all, if Republicans end up winning control of the Senate, that gives them a lot more leverage in any Supreme Court nomination fights starting in the beginning of next year. So that's really the long-term goal for Republicans. Ketanji Brown-Jackson nomination and confirmation is going to be a setback, but a mild one and a very, very predictable one when you think about it. You think this has any uh, repercussions for like Mitt Romney again? He's tossing it around. Murkowski, Collins, do you think there's anything down the line where people can look and say, you voted for somebody? Because I always find it a joke that they'll vote for them to get on a lower court, but somehow mm. they're not going to vote for them to get on. And it could have just been last year. Yeah. And it's like, oh, all of a sudden you're awful. Yeah, Lindsey Graham is going to get a little bit of grief for that. But Lindsey Graham just got reelected last year. It's not like there's going to be a big issue in any of his upcoming. Murkowski's up this year. And I suppose you could see that. But she's, you know, I mean, she won a write-in with the last name Murkowski, which is not easy to spell. No. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think she is not going to be easily beaten in any potential challenge this year. I, I don't think Collins just got reelected last year. She's not going to face any, you know, like... Part of the things about all of these moderate Republican senators and having the reputation of the ones who are most likely to break ranks. Well, some of that means they're not all that surprised. If um, if Mike Lee voted for her, I think everybody would flip out and say, what the heck's going on? You know, if you had somebody who was 
Uh, John Thune votes yes. Everybody's like, you know, shocked. These these three or you know two or three or four Republicans are kind of the ones you'd most expect to try to reach across the aisle. And I think because the stakes are so low, maybe you end up paying less of a political price for it. Now, if this was for a, you know, if, if this, the court was four to four and whoever was confirmed was seen as the, the, you know, the swing vote and the one that would resolve a lot of cases, then you'd see very much more pressure on them. But I think most Republicans realizing that they never had the votes in the first place are gonna let everybody kind of vote the way they want and focus their energies on future fights. Absolutely true. Uh, yeah, again, I, I think it's it's pretty simple. It's like for like. We move on from there and then we've had the good, the bad, the crazy. This is not a shock. Uh, do as I, I say, oh, you're not going to. Then I'm going to do something to you, says Putin. Then I then he says, well, don't worry, I'm pulling everybody back. Yeah, let's talk it out. And then he bombs and continues to fight. Nobody should ever believe this guy. I don't even think he believes himself. Hmm. So, Chad, as you know, like during the, the entire pandemic, I did a lot of writing about what the Chinese government was saying and a lot of investigating the lab leak. And sometimes periodically someone would say to me, Jim, the Chinese government said it didn't come from a lab. And I'd, I'd kind of blink. <laughs> I'd just say, yes, they lie a lot. They, they, you know, their denials really can't be taken at face value and, uh, and cannot be assumed to be true. People may remember a little bit before, and that's, that's kind of the truth, the case for all kinds of autocratic regimes. They never can admit that they're wrong. They never can admit, uh, you know, what they actually want to do. And so a little bit before the, the invasion began, I want to say it's around February 15th or so, Russia said that it was going to have a partial withdrawal. Remember, it had built up all these troops along the Ukrainian border. And several publications, including The Guardian over there in the UK, said Russia confirms partial withdrawal of troops from Ukraine border. And said, no, no, they claimed they were doing it. They did not actually do it. And I really was infuriated by the term, by confirms being in that headline. Well, here we have it today where they said, well, we're refocusing on Eastern Ukraine and we're not focusing as much on the West. We're not focusing as much as Kiev. We never really wanted that stuff. Those, those grapes were probably sour anyway. And uh, lo and behold, they then bombed targets in Western Ukraine and there was more attacks and, and everybody's and like, why is anybody surprised by this? This is you know, lo and behold, Vladimir Putin lies a lot. So, you know, when you see people say, you know, accuse Russia of attacks despite promise to reduce strikes. Yes, the Russians lie a lot. They break promises a lot. Trust but verify, as Reagan used to say. So I, no one should be surprised by this. I think that's the angle I find most crazy. The fact that Russia is attacking is not crazy. I mean, it's bad. It's, it's awful. Um, it's horrific what it's doing to civilians over there. But it's what we've come to expect from Russia. They're not... Uh, they're not a particularly precise military. They're not a particularly well-disciplined military. We've heard about all kinds of supply chain issues. What do they have going for them? Brutality, a willingness to attack civilians and a willingness to attempt to inflict so much pain that it breaks the will of the Ukrainian people. Now, so far, that has not been the case. In fact, it seems to be angering the Ukrainian people and making them even more uh, refusing to want to concede any territory or, or give up or anything. So I think just... There's a certain this just still remains, even after all this, too much credulity in the Western news media. And any statement from the Russian government really should be said as a claims or at minimum asserts rather than Russia says or states or treat it as if something they say is necessarily aligned with the truth. You know, uh, when I first heard that they were pulling people back, I kept saying, if you know what happens, 
in a tsunami, the first thing that happens is the water recedes. And then what comes next is a volley of water and power that you've never could even have imagined. And the first thing that came to my mind is he going to do something chemical or he's going to do something with a tactical nuke. I was just about to say that was another thought which crossed my mind, which is this idea that if, you know, like hopefully this this moving troops away from Kiev is meant, you know, look, you know, maybe they realize that they it's not working and they've been trying for several weeks to take Kiev and the Ukrainians keep finding new ways to push them back. The Ukrainians keep finding new ways to hit their supply lines. If that's what's going on, fantastic. But don't take it for sure. And if you have a big empty space, well, then, yeah, that's where it would make the most sense to either use a tactical nuke or, God forbid, God forbid any of these options, but, you know, chemical, biological, or a tactical nuke. I think the likelihood of Putin using one of those options is low, but it's not impossible. And I think the more desperate he gets, the more the war is not going his way, the more that temptation will be calling to him like these sirens out of Greek myth. So that's an ominous point to end today's episode, but feels like one we should be, you know, hopefully our, our military thinkers and our strategists and our diplomats and our, our intelligence community are keeping a close eye on as this war progresses over there. Absolutely. I am a Chad Benson. In for Greg Columbus. He'll be back, uh, I believe, tomorrow. Of course, Jim Garrity always is me. Follow me at Chad Benson Show. And uh, Jim, people want to get in touch with you. How do they do that? Sure. Uh, over at nationalreview.com. You can subscribe to the Morning Jolt newsletter. It comes out every weekday. Uh, also on Twitter at Jim Garrity. Hey, guys. It's Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right. We're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. From discussing topics like cancel culture, what's happening to our new generations, crises in our nation, and even some high-profile interviews, each week we touch on subjects that matter to us and matter to you. And we're not afraid to tell you how it is. So tune in every week to hear us talk about the things or even just get a good laugh. To find out more, go to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe.